Welcome to Yellowface, a conversation about our Asian American experience. My name's Jason. I'm an editor in New York. New York what? <laughs> what do you mean? He is the editor. Oh, an editor in New York. Oh, in New York. I thought you said you are the editor of New York. Oh my god. <laughs> the I decide article what the. happens in New York. Um, did yeah. I say V? I meant the. What? No. Why? Okay, sorry. <laughs> ESL. Gotta go back to ESL. Um, hi, my name is Diane Chang. I am a chef here in New York and a writer. It's been so long since we've done this. I know. It's so good to this see is, you. This is our long-awaited um, new episode, and I think what sparked our uh Fine. What kicked us in the ass mm. into doing this was that we were recently featured in the iTunes <laughs> store. In the iTunes store. I know. It's pretty major. What so, was it? Um, May is... I'm going to get this wrong. It's like um, Asian Pacific um, Asian American Pacific. Asian Heritage Month. AP. Like, there was an H in there. It's an acronym. And for that month on the podcast page of iTunes. They did like a mini showcase of a bunch of Asian American podcasts and Pacific podcasts. And we were one of them. (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny because I think that alongside there was David Chang's podcast and then it was like our favorite. Well, I mean, I don't know. I've come around. I've come around. I think he's doing. Did you watch Ugly Delicious? I have. I think that there are episodes I like, but I am really over the whole, the graphics and all. It's just, it felt like ADD. Mm-hmm. Like, I could not watch the entire show without feeling. I hear what you're saying. The like, intensity from an aesthetic of perspective, aesthetic like, yeah, and yeah, yeah. the way that it was edited was too much. It's a little Lucky Peachy Mc, McSweeney's kind of like that jumping of everything. Too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Content wise, great. His attitude on the show, occasionally douchey. Right. Um, but anyway, I was saying that it was really funny because to see what our. Was that? <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like a duck farted or something. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say something yeah. really praiseworthy. So, oh, what? No, no, no. Like, we are praiseworthy. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, oh, um, Because our cover of the our, uh, our uh, podcast is literally a photo that we took on an iPhone. I know. That we did at your house about two years ago. Yeah. And we held up two of Jason's prints that happened to have gigantic yellow circles, circles on, them. on them and that became the cover of our podcast and that was shown alongside something that i thought was like professionally created totally and designed i feel fucking awesome i do too i know it's weird i think that both of us are so wrapped up in things other than this that it kind of like was a reminder that this is real we have voices Two people listen. One of them who happens to edit the iTunes podcast page, and we should like get together and do it again. Yeah, and I think it's also been fun to really um, kind of focus our discussion discussions about culture to you know our our own culture. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we get in the habit of talking about everyone else's culture and the dominant culture, which sure. is white culture. And, you know, we forget that we're Asian. 
No, we never forget we're Asian. <laughs> but we never think that it there there are heightened reasons for us to talk about being Asian. Right. And it matters. Yeah, totally. Like, today, we want to talk about something that kind of just was spawned from me asking Jason if he thinks that Kanye should be canceled for his recent comments. Yeah. And then, you know, we we waxed on about it for about 15 minutes. And then I was thinking to myself, I'm like... Wow, I'm so into black music, black culture, black history, um, the black plight. When, you know, considering the type of information we received as kids in a kind of a, you know, closed-minded, insulated society. A million, a trillion percent. um, Our perceptions of black the black community was so skewed growing up in a predominantly Asian community. Yeah. I ask myself now, like, how did I fall in love with this culture? How did I want to, like, know more about I'm the history? dead curious about that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I can only speak to the household I grew up in, the community we grew up in. And when we were talking about Kanye earlier... I felt like when you said that, mm-hmm. you know, what do we do with Kanye now and his art, given his recent comments and wearing the MAGA hat and all that, I felt like I didn't even really know how to speak on that because there wasn't this, like, affinity or love or passion for his art that I needed to reconcile with recent comments. I kind of was like, I remember like college dropout like a million years ago and yeah. I'm like not a huge like Pablo person. I don't really, I know obviously that the, the album is out now. He doesn't wear shoes or anything. Right, I'm not like, I'm not like hugely enamored of the culture. So I don't even feel like the recent comments were something I had to- Weigh in on. Completely, that like it wasn't, a confrontation of like two different value systems that I had to like think about it you know personally it was something that fascinated me but I also didn't feel like it was my role or it I not that I wasn't allowed to uh-huh. weigh in but I was just like you know yeah it's I felt like what he said was despicable but like what does it have to do with me personally uh-huh. and then I think that that conversation Jason and I were having evolved into like Let's talk about Asian and black relations because I think we talk a lot about how we interact with white people, but something I think that often gets not talked about is how we interact with black people as we both are minorities, right? And um, Jason, why don't you kind of share like something interesting I didn't know, I forgot about that you brought up about the Rodney King trial. Oh, right, right, right. Well, I mean... um... I think a lot of people know, obviously, that, like, the L.A. riots were precipitated by police brutality against Rodney King. But I don't know how many people know. I certainly didn't know. I watched the, um, the, like, million-part ESPN OJ documentary two years ago, and it's awesome. Everybody should devote their like seven hours to watching if they haven't already. But there was that moment in there where they talk about another precipitating incident was the basically murder of this 15 year old girl, Latasha, last name I'm forgetting. 
um, who, if you're not familiar, she was in a bodega mm-hmm. in LA, was like trying to buy a juice or something, and the bodega owner, who is a Korean woman, has this confrontation with her, wants to look in her backpack. They have like a minor scuffle. The Korean bodega owner actually ends up falling to the ground in their like mini fight. And then Latasha, the 15 year old black girl, like leaves in a huff, like sets the juice down on the counter and turns to leave. And then- Oh, I think what happened was um, the liquor store owner pulls the gun out and so she puts the juice down and like walks and turns, turns to, to walk slowly like you know obviously well i don't think was the gun i maybe the gun was already out basically oh. whatever had happened was latasha had turned around to leave yeah so she saw she saw the gun and she was already pointing it at latasha and then the bodega owner shoots her in the back and she dies Head. Head. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, um, by the way, th- this girl's name, the girl who was murdered, killed, Latasha Harlan. Mm. And basically what happened was, it was all caught on camera. You can watch it. It's like a fucking sick snuff film. But in the trial for Do, I forget Mrs. what her... Do. Mrs. Whatever yeah. Mrs. Do, the Korean bodega owner... She's, like, completely remorseless and ultimately gets charged with involuntary manslaughter, which I guess means that she was acting in self-defense, supposedly. right. And then the sentence that you get for that is up to 16 years in jail. The judge, in some, like, disgusting display of who knows what, puts her on probation instead, makes her pay for the girl's like funeral expenses and that basically is it she does like minor community service or something and so that was another moment that sort of like sparked crazy outrage within the black community rightly so like it's insane that this happened yeah but i think that it wasn't even i think we were too young at that moment to really be able to comprehend that but i that was something that crystallized the riot antagonism like in LA oh sure in Chicago in like it really was like the black community and the Asian community have been pitted against each other for so long and I think this is just another example of like how far race relations really need to go to go between both these minority groups I mean we were just saying like if Latasha were white, or if Latasha were Asian, like, this wouldn't have happened. Like, would Mrs. Do have shot her in the head? So I think what's interesting about you recapping this and us just kind of, like, reading about it in detail on the internet and learning more about what actually happened is that growing up in the 90s, um, all I remember being as young as we were um, was when the riots started to happen and then all these... Uh, liquor store owners and shopkeepers were out guarding their own home Mm -hmm. or not their homes but their shops with like ak-47s and like rifles and stuff and i remember my parents saying in passing how like yeah you know like um no one cares about asian people like they have to defend their own like community and blah Mm -hmm. blah blah and there wasn't and it's it's not because my parents were not 
sympathetic to what was going on within the black community. It's that they didn't even know what was going on. Mm-hmm. I don't think my parents were aware either of this whole like Mrs. Do and Latasha situation. All they saw was what, you know, has been the narrative for black people in the States. Which is that black people it's are getting criminalization crazy out of, hand of black people. 100%. And so all they saw was like, oh yeah, here are these Asian store owners just trying to defend their, their businesses right. from these rowdy black people who it, are getting out of hand exactly. and criminals. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, just to further kind of go into what Jason was saying, which you know, I think it's really important what you said about like the relation that the kind of terse and not always like friendly relationship between Asians and black folks in America. I think that was definitely highlighted in Spike Lee's movie Do the Right Thing, mm-hmm. where it, it was kind Which of I have to say I haven't seen it, I'm sorry. Like I didn't It you have it's yeah, so have, yeah. so yeah. good. But importantly, Rosie Perez does an amazing dance in the beginning and you're like, whoa, she's always got it. Can I see that on YouTube? Yes, you yeah. can yeah. <laughs> you can I think you watch the whole movie on YouTube. But anyhow, in the movie there is um it's kind of like a side note that there's an Asian family in um I believe like Bedside. Mm. Is it Bedside or Fort Greene? I can't remember. I'm sorry. Caller Bedside. Bedside. I think that I as if I could remember correctly, the Asian, you know, they're just characters in the story, but a lot of comments are made about how the Asian people are moving in to the neighborhood, starting their shops and taking away the businesses. Mm-hmm. Or taking away the business from the other people. Gentrifying. Gentrifying, but specifically like how most people feel about China, uh-huh. which is that they're stealing the business oh, for away cheaper? for cheaper. For cheaper, they're saying. you know just just complaining that they're taking business away. Right, and you know it's interesting because I think that this goes to what the stereotypes of Asian people are versus the stereotypes of what Black people are, mm-hmm. and that Asian people are perceived as being like overly hardworking, like maybe money hungry like Mm -hmm. cheap whatever those things are right and then you have what the stereotypes are of black people and then when you put them in the community like what do you think happens Mm -hmm. what is the what do you think in that movie like the the stereotype of black people was meant to to be well i think that that movie showed a lot of nuanced versions of the personalities and I think that that was what made that movie really interesting and nice it was showing you the reality of living in Brooklyn at the time but also like that this is how the Italian pizza shop owner was like this is what the Asian uh the uh, bodega store owner was like through the lens of black people in the community Mm -hmm. so that was what I I got to see but what I've always had was the lens of the Asian person. Right. So it's interesting to see how people see us. Totally. And it's interesting to see why people felt tense towards Asian business owners. And then specifically in this situation with Mrs. Duke getting off pretty easily for murdering a kid, why that aggravated the community even more. Sure. And I mean, I don't know. I want to get back to, like, when we were young and yeah, what that sure. whole thing was. Because we, we can belabor this point over and over again. But we come from a town that's, like, two-thirds Asian. Yep. 
the last third is like white, Latino, a little bit. I we had a lot of Latinos. We did have Latino, yeah. right? I find it hard to even remember black people in our community or people that I interacted with who are black. Yeah. And I feel like it wasn't really until I like went to college or even post-college that it was like, oh, there's like a whole world out there that you didn't even, like all you know about blackness is hip-hop culture that's like fed to you through the media which is like a very particular kind of thing i like did not have any irl interactions with like black people who who were like not like somebody randomly in a class what did you what was your perception of black people growing up i feel like it was like an abstraction. It was like, I remember very clearly being like 11 or 12 and with my family and like family friends at Universal City Walk. Do you remember Universal City yeah, Walk? Yeah, totally. And. Not, it was never worth the 45 Oh my God, it's so not worth it. It's like. like I remember it took forever to get there, and you're like, cool, Ugh. we're going from one giant mall to another giant 100%. outdoor mall. So Universal City Walk is, like, adjacent, basically, to Universal Studios, and it's, like, an outdoor mall. It's like, it's like the Grove or something, but more, like, entertainment-themed. Yeah. So we were at City Walk, and we were in line for something, and we were, like, right behind this black couple or black family, and I remember so distinctly my mom's friend saying in chinese "Ugh, these black people smell so bad and i remember being like 11 and think like that's so fucked up and wrong and that also what's also fucked up and wrong is that like that was as close as i had to any real interaction with a black person Mm -hmm. and all it ever was was this theoretical notion of don't be racist to black people. Civil rights is a real thing. Martin Luther King is somebody to be revered. When my mom says something bad about Mexicans who mow <laughs> the backyard, <laughs> that is a bad thing that you should speak up about. Yeah. But it was never anything that I could enact or did enact in any real way in my real life. Of course. And I feel even... Like, it was like mental gymnastics of, oh, well, I'm going to refer to everybody with melanin in their skin as African-American because African-American is the correct term and we can't refer to people as black anymore. And obviously had to be re-educated to right. know that, like, that's not even correct. Like, there are plenty of people who are black who are not African-American, and African-American is not the correct PC term that you want to necessarily use every fucking time. But it's like this... It's almost like a white version of, in theory, they're great. But in my real life, I don't want to participate or interact or put myself in situations that, like, really have to confront... The realness of the I think situation. I think 
that last statement that you've just made was how I think that was what my experience was like because yeah. I think I had such so I've always had such a strong affinity for um hip hop music. Yeah. Black music in general, hip hop specifically, um black shows growing up. Like I only watched black television shows mm. to the point where my mom and dad very ignorantly my dad was around would joke that they're like oh you know like um maybe your real parents are black mm. i mean like <laughs> totally not pc by the way hey mr cooper sister sister living single fresh love, prince of bel-air family matters family Ma- well no i didn't like family, oh, I love matters. family matters um i always felt like family matters was like corny corny but but did you watch girlfriends a different world i did watch all those shows yeah. so I guess, like, my point is there's a duality of, like, what you just said is this is, like, my perception of black culture. And then my real-life interaction was going to downtown L.A., working with, at my best friend's parents' toy store, Hmm. which is right near Santee Alley. Oh, wow. Which is also what is known as Skid Row. So Skid Row in L.A., if you've never been there, is where most of the homeless people in L.A. set up their tents. And, like, it's, I mean, it's pretty gnarly over there. Most people are mentally ill. A lot of them are vets. So, and a lot of them are black. So it's that duality of, like, watching these entertainers and then going to downtown L.A. and being totally freaked out by, you know, mentally sick people who happen to be black. Sure. And there was never anything in between that because we didn't interact with friends who were, I mean, there were like a few people in our grade, but like, you know, none of them I was ultra close to. And so then you have like that whole missed opportunity of like getting to know people as people and not, not just like facets of a people. And beyond that, not knowing why there were so many homeless black people in downtown L.A. And and things like that, Mm -hmm. you know. And I think it wasn't like until I went to college and I chose, I kind of like forced myself to do the work. Which is interesting because I think that for some people it happens very naturally. Going to UCLA does not mean that like you are being thrown into you know, it's not like I went to Howard University. Sure. Like, I went to basically another larger version of the town we grew up in. Yeah. But I made a choice. And I think that I'm very happy I did to, like, get to know more, to have more black friends, to join groups and, and work with people who are black. And, you know, to kind of break that stereotype to make a conscious effort. Because as you were saying, it's like, I, I think it's, It's weird it's weird when your perception of another human being is like so theoretical. 100%. You know, it's so weird. Yeah. Like you could even go to a store and you like the shopkeeper is is black and if you don't like if you've never had any black friends or ever been around black people you can have a human to human conversation but still not perceive this person to be 100% human mm-hmm. they're just like an embodiment of like a stereotype you grew up with mm-hmm. and i think that's why during the rodney king riots it was so hard for even me and my family to empathize with black people sure 
Like all we were thinking Same. about. Totally. My the, family was totally. Right? Yeah, yeah. All you're thinking about is what's going on with all the people who look more like you? Like, or all the Korean people. I feel so bad for all the Korean right. people. They're the victims. They're the victims. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened during the trials, which is when you look back now as educated adults. And it's not even about being educated. It's just like being like adults, mature, like knowing these things. Like when you when we read the case, it's like it makes sense why the judge went ahead and like gave her Mrs. Dew such a light sentence. I don't think the judge or I don't think law enforcement, as we know, ever sees black people as being human. That's why these things are allowed to happen. And on the other flip side, Asian people get ultra privilege because we're seen as like, be not like we're not always seen as human, but we're seen as like a better, a lesser of a the model minority. Like that's yes. the I mean, that really is also the a catalyst for why thing race relations between Black people and Asian people is not good. Is because like this myth of the model minority has been propped up by white people because it's politically expedient for them to be able to say Asians are doing so well and prospering why can't you be like Asians in a way to like hold down black people and then obviously what does that breed but resentment and distrust between black people and Asian people and where does all of this come from this comes from you know pop culture like I don't think that Asian people without having watched movies or the news or heard music or whatever heard propaganda would ever have any perception of black like they wouldn't have these like really like distilled perceptions of black people i think you'd just be like you're different from me but because like you know even in asia all the movies we watch where like either the black person is like the token black character who's really funny or the criminal or like whatever, like the angry black guy or the blah, blah, blah. That's why you can grow up never being around an entire race of people and make like horrible negative assumptions about them. Sure. And I think it comes from being like miseducated on all these like, I, I don't know, these like really critical things, you know? Did you, I don't think that you were alone in growing up where we grew up, or or I don't think you're alone now being an Asian person who loves hip-hop culture, black culture. I mean, I'm, that's like the, the, the line, right? Like, everybody wants to be black, but nobody wants to be black. It's like, yeah. black people create culture. Like, really, like almost anything cool, awesome that you want to like be a part of and learn about and consume. I mean, black people... I'm trying to do that with Asian really culture. Is. It's not I really... Mean, it's <laughs> yeah. But like, did you ever feel like you... I feel like growing up, this idea of Asians who are obsessed with blackness, did you feel like there was a part of you that needed to confront those ideas versus like real black people was that something you like evolved on like no absolutely um so one of so i was talking about how in college um when i took initiative took an initiative to just to understand like 
the broader meaning of race. Yeah. Um, I took this class called the Black Lexicon. It was an English credits course. Mm. And in the class, I was definitely the minority. I mean, it was like 70% um, black people, like 30% white and Asian people. Mm. And there were a lot of intense discussions, right? Where you're like, a lot of feelings were being expressed of people trying to appropriate black culture and like not really giving a shit and things like that, that I never thought about all the times that I was listening to hip hop and like we were using slang that we saw on TV and we were like wearing clothes that Aaliyah was wearing, that SWV was wearing or like that when I you know, did the junior high talent show and I rapped. I did like left eyes part in waterfalls. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the, like I had to reckon with that. And in, in, when you're suddenly in a room with people who are comfortable with expressing themselves, it really makes you, it humbles you in a lot of mm-hmm. ways and it makes you more empathetic and it makes you also think about how your own culture is often appropriated and is not credited sure and i think that like i feel so blessed to have taken that class because it was the first time where like people could be outspoken and not be penalized and like that never happened that never happened what a safe space and it the professor who actually was friends with john legend like they went to u penn to get john legend went to u penn yeah. right and he was like a consultant at BCG or something, right? Like, I I have no idea, yeah, but yeah. he re- I remember him talking about John Legend as his friend. But like, he started a message board um, that was a safe space for people not of color to go on and ask questions and to make comments about like the lessons we learn mm-hmm. and like the discussions we've had, books we read, because he was saying like this is what has not been given to people of color is the safe space to ask questions and to not be like criticized for not knowing or to express their feelings so there were definitely like white folks on that message board who would like you know they would ask really crazy questions and then you think to yourself you're like whoa this i'm not the only one Mm -hmm. and in the same light I think a lot of black people have questions about Asian people. Of course, yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, and I think that that all it boils down to is like when we talk about black and Asian people and our relationship, why I think it's important to even bring it up is because we work so hard to understand black and white relations, black or white and everyone else relations and why it's cultivated the madness that it has, you know, but between Asian and black people, we work alongside each other all the time. I mean, music wise, yes, food, like in the kitchen, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is not, it's it. like we are in each other's circles. For sure. What is, what did you come away from that reckoning feeling like you needed to do or change? Or what did you feel like it equipped you Um. With? Well, it's a le- it was a lexicon. It was about lexicon. Mm-hmm. So it was about language. So a lot of it was about how we talk about race and how we talk about each other. And and I and I think that I walked away with more information about how to talk about 
appropriation. Mm. But then it also stimulated a need to talk to more people of color Mm -hmm. beyond Asians, right? And I was also on this team called the Jazz Reggae Club. And I always felt so, like, out of place in all these, you know, groups where... And that's the thing. I wasn't trying to be, like, you know, like, the dreadhead girl, like, listening to reggae and, like, trying to, like, pretend, like, I'm all about it or whatever. But I think that... I would put myself in these uncomfortable situations so I can learn more. So I can see people, especially black people, as being truly human. Yeah. I think that was what I worked on, have been working on for the last decade of my life, is to see other people as being truly human. Right. Because you know what? It's A lot of comedians joke about it. A lot of people talk about it. And it's very true. Think about the times you've walked down the street late at night and there's a black person and a white person walking next to you what is your gut reaction? Like, what what does your gut mm-hmm. do? If Especially if all you grew up on were negative portrayals of black people. Right. I spent the last decade trying to reverse that, reverse yeah. engineer that. Yeah, I it's, mean, it's But work. it's hard. It's work, yeah. And it helps to have black friends. Of course. But it's not even like, I just have black friends because I'm trying to do this work. It's just that it all kind of works. Do you know what I mean? It, it all just happens. Like I, I've been making friends who share the same interests as I, as me, and naturally, naturally, those barriers come down. Yeah. And I hope the reverse is happening too. Because totally. you know how many questions I, how many questions and comments I get about Chinese stuff mm-hmm. is like crazy. Yeah. From that's a whole other episode. Oh God. Oh God. But I don't know. What about you? Yeah, I feel the same, same, same way. That maybe what something post-college that began as a a real concerted effort on my part has sort of evolved to become I think that like the more you are vocal about your beliefs and the way the more that you enact in your everyday life ideas that you have the more that naturally it feels less like work. And it's just finding like-minded people who believe in the same things that you do. And then when the beliefs are like yours and mine, there probably will be more non-white people than white people. Asian, black, yep. Latino, like trans, queer, what have you. You know what I mean? It just is like, it's not, it becomes not even work at some point because it's like, if you are a true believer to use cult language, (laughs) or if you are somebody who actually walks the walk, then it actually becomes difficult for you not to live that way. You know what I mean? Like something that happened over Thanksgiving, actually, I was with, my family, of course, because it was Thanksgiving, and like um, a friend of a family member came to visit, and somehow the conversation got to the fact that like this part of town that they lived in or something, or no, the uh, the place where they worked had like a lot of Indian people, mm-hmm. like Indian Americans, and it was just like. I will never work with another Indian person. They're so obnoxious. They smell terrible. And I literally just had to be like, whoa, are you fucking serious right now? Like, you need to stop. 
and he was like, why are you being so PC? When, when are you like such a PC person? Like it's not PC, it really is just being a decent human being. But I also see how there could be another version of myself that would have let a comment like that slide. But also does silencing that person who has a, you know, who has these types of perceptions, as we see now in America, does silencing them from their, you know, um, non-PC perspectives really do, does that do anything? Because I don't accept that, that silencing somebody and I don't accept that challenging somebody on something I disagree with is not a worthwhile thing for me to do. Well, maybe, maybe the way you conducted yourself wasn't silencing, but I've seen it a lot where it's like some people can be totally like the PC police. Mm -hmm. And I think what you what you just said, which makes sense is like challenging them, I think is important. But I've totally been the person, I've been the person with my own family members where I just like shut them down mm-hmm. and I tell them that they're wrong. Right. Without understanding where those comments come from, truly. And I feel like maybe it comes from, a lot of it comes from fear, a lot of them is fear of the unknown, you know? But I used to not allow them to share. Like, it almost was, it backfired on me because they probably never wanted to chat about these inner thinking, these inner thoughts because mm-hmm. they were afraid that I was going to go on a rant. Right, right. And I wasn't able to like actually converse with them. Right. I think that there was a way to do it yeah. in a way that's productive. I also don't believe that the onus should be on you or on me to engage intellectually with something that's just like patently false. Yeah. Like I think like there's like there are gradations of we can disagree on something and you and I can have like a civilized conversation and but like when somebody says I won't work with Indian people, they smell disgusting. Like I can't engage with that. Like I can't even pretend that that's like a worthwhile discussion mm-hmm. to be having. And nothing is sort of like that black or white, like everything's sort of gray, you know what I mean? But like, all I mean to say is that there is, there is the kind of person who would receive, when did you become the PC police as, oh, I'm going to like tamp this down or I'm gonna be a different person and I don't wanna be that person anymore. Well, I think that's always been my challenge because, like, I have, you know, family members who've made really terrible comments about, like, black people. Mm. And they shouldn't, these are people who should know better. We're talking, like, grown up in the States, like, you're educated, you're around, you, you like, you're not my grandma. Sure. Like, you know. Um, and I always find it challenging. I don't know what to do because. Mm. I've been through the the fights already. I've already been the person who has been defensive and like um, tried to provide a context, historical context to explain and to justify and to like argue. And it and I realize like I can't like you said it's like 
it's not is it our job is it not our job what do we do in an instance where someone's beliefs are so dogged and like come from a place that like there's nothing that i could do to show you Mm -hmm. what do we do then as people right i feel like if there is a choice to be made yeah then you would make the choice not to be a best friend with this person yeah absolutely. you know what i mean it's just kind of like if you are the company that you keep then that conversation becomes less and less do you divorce real your- in your life like you like it becomes like my family's fucking crazy and like i see them when i have to see them and yeah you know what i mean like I think you're in a really tough spot there. Like, I think you're right. Like, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? I mean, a big part of me always hopes that this person sees how I see things or experiences what I've experienced to, to, to just sort of like elevate himself. But then we live totally different lives. Like he's not in a community where he would ever, you know, interact with people beyond himself and or like his own kind and so it's it's very disappointing and i think that that's the thing like we talk about asians and and black people and you're like when you're there is a level of like you never can you never can dispel myths and stuff if you don't if you if you're you're segregated yeah yeah and a lot of it is by choice a lot of it is for like survival purposes like you choose to live in a, an Asian enclave because, like, it, it's for survival. It's for you to feel comfortable and to do the work you need to do. But at the end of the day, you kind of, like, live and die by these really sad, untrue notions. It's sad. Yeah. My life has dramatically benefited and improved from from the embracing of different people yeah and i didn't grow up having like gay friends i you know like i mean when did you come out 20 20 or 21 okay yeah like like a, long, like a decade like most ago. of the yeah. friends i mean i was in gay street alliance but like what is that even sure like yeah, in yeah, our yeah, school totally. you know but like my i'm not saying like these are all things to fill a quota i'm saying that everyone in my life serves a purpose and they make my life better but they're all very different and I only can think of these people who, like, even my parents, you know, it's like, what if my mom could have found a best friend in someone who's like, she had a best friend at work who's Latina. Mm-hmm. And they barely spoke the same language. But, like, they, they were both single and, like, older women with daughters. And they could talk about those things. And it's interesting because, like, my mom loves Mexican people. Mm. Like, specifically Mexican people. That's the only group of people she's ever worked with right. besides Chinese people. And she loves going, we love going to their birthdays, their quinceaneras, like, all that stuff. And think about what would have happened if my mom had worked with black people or Indian people. Sure. What was her job? She's just a secretary in an import-export gotcha, company. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Like, they, they only work with, like, people from Mexico. Interesting. And so... When you think about how that works and even like with, um, you know, anecdotes about um, people who serve in the military, how like a lot of racial tension evaporates when you are literally, you know, like... Your life depends on this person. Exactly. You're, you're, you know, same with me, like working in a kitchen. I mean, I worked with this guy, Amar, who, like, grew up, lived, grew up, born in the Bronx, like, never left. 
And he asked me a ton of questions about Asian food that like for any bystander would would kind of scoff and be like, how do you not know these yeah. things? But I understand because I'm like, I would not have known a ton of things growing up the way I did if I didn't move to New York City. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so like he would ask me questions and we would have debates and it was interesting because for the first time we're like having like a real conversation. Yeah. And I just wish more people could have those opportunities. And it's not to say that, like, I feel like we sound like we're above it and, like, we don't see color. But that's not what I mean. That's not what I mean at all, yeah. It's more like, I don't know what I'm trying to say here with this rant. I think I understand what you're saying. I just wish that more people thought deeper about, especially Asian people, like, our love of black pop culture especially if you're an Asian person who is never around any black people. Mm -hmm. And I know you out there have a negative perception. For sure. Because if you grew up the way we grew up, I know you did and do. And you can challenge that. But it takes work on your own if you care. I don't know. Amen, sister. I love you. Love you too. Bye.